Hi, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of Secrets from the Saddle podcast. And of course, we always start with coaches' announcements. Now, the first thing I want to say is that our contest is still going on. We're still giving out prizes every Friday for um, reviews. Now, make sure you put your Instagram handle because I haven't been able to find the last couple people um, for and thanking them for their reviews and to give them a prize, a giveaway. So that's the first thing. Don't forget to put out reviews and a rating and also share it with your fellow cyclists. I know that this episodes are going to touch hearts of everybody around the world. And it just goes to this one is the next one that's going to be so amazing. But before I get in there, I just have to share with you something that I am personally doing now. It's a four week cycling skills program. And what I love doing is I've been coaching online or coaching programs every winter for the last 16 years. And what I've done is I've taken the fundamental parts of the, the cycling skills program and I put them into different modules. So what does everybody want to learn? They want to learn how to become a more efficient cyclist. So in improving pedal stroke, they want to climb hills like a rock star and they want to be able to have great strength, power, and speed. And plus, let's not forget, putting it all together with nutrition so you don't bonk on your ride. Now, wouldn't it be great to have all of that in a four-week segment where you get to coach more one-on-one with me in my private Facebook group? So just go to the link in the description. Go to cycling. Well, here's the link. Cyclingskillspro.com cyclingskillspro.com or sylviedaou.ca. Either one will get you there. And we're starting July 8th. It's a private group, small. I'm only taking a certain amount of people because I really want to give a lot of value in this program, meaning we're going to have um, <clears throat> a weekly a weekly webinar where I'm going to teach in skills. I'm going to send you out with some homework and then we're going to do a Q&A. So you can come back and ask me all the questions that you have had while doing the while doing your rides while doing your drills and so that you can better understand how to become and implement all these skills isn't that amazing so four weeks in july let's do it make sure you subscribe or check it out so cyclingskillspro.com welcome to secrets from the saddle podcast i'm sylvie Dao, your host fellow cyclist bike club founder cycling coach bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Welcome everyone to amaze, another amazing episode of Secrets in the Saddle, all things cycling with your host, Sylvie Deo, and this extraordinary lady from, I believe you're from Ottawa. Are you from Ottawa? Kingston, Ontario. Close. Kingston, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the side of the river. Um, Annie Foreman Mackey, who is uh, one of our... Um, one of our amazing Canadian athletes who is currently training for Olympics. 
But before we bring her out, I'm going to give you a little bit of background around her. And we have a whole list of things that we are going to talk to her. Like, and she is super amazing. You're going to want to really settle in and listen to this one because I, I feel like she's going to lay some really good information on us. Because not only is she training for the Olympics, everybody, but she's also a medical student presently. So she's doing both. And so I'm sure everybody's going to want to know, how does somebody do that? So before we bring Annie out, here's a little bit of background. She made the UCI World Championship debut in 2016 by winning bronze in a non-Olympic individual pursuit event. By the following year, she had become a key member of the team of the team pursuit and contrib contributed to the fourth place finish at Worlds in 2018 and 19 and 2020. You squeezed one in there before everything <laughs> shut down. Yeah, just awesome. Before. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um Annie has been competing at the UCI World Cup circuit since 15 and 16, so the seasons. She's earned her first medal in January 2016 when she competed in the first two rounds of the team pursuit as a Canadian squad, went to capture gold at, in Hong Kong. She's achieved a career highlight in December 2017. You remember all these, right, Annie? <laughs> When she raced in the final at as Canada won team pursuit goal. Yes, that one. That one, yeah. That <laughs> as a Belgian on home soil in Milton, which is always a fantastic thing. Um, here's a little bit more about her. She got into the sport. She transitioned from cycling uh, to cycling from competitive swimming. So we're going to hear about that. Um, which included three years of varsity team at McMaster. Uh, outside, oh no, we're not, and like, as we know, she's a medical student at UBC, so she's balancing the two. She also loves discovering new music, <laughs> uh, playing her violin. Oh my God, that's good stress reliever right there. Um, teaching herself guitar, has been venturing into sourdough making. See, you never know what they write on the yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. What's, what's going to come next? Yeah, that's right. You just don't have the knitting like the rest of them. I certainly do not. <laughs> Team members and training camps. So, oh my gosh. And she's an adventurer. So off, in the off season, she loves going off grid, uh, backpacking and bike touring. So welcome, Annie. So happy to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited about getting into some details. So I always love um, asking the question, like we know you went from swimming to cycling, but how did that happen? Yeah. Take us back to that. Yeah, for sure. I think I had a few false starts in cycling actually, and I'll take you back to um, pretty early on. So I come from a family who's not super into organized sports. So I'm definitely a little bit of an anomaly. Um, and I guess I was first inspired um, when I was nine years old and I watched Simon Whitfield win the Olympic gold at, um, in the triathlon. And Simon is from Kingston, my hometown. And I remember watching that and thinking, oh my goodness, like this is someone who 
went to the high school that I'm probably going to go to that I did end up going to um, I'm from our hometown. And so at that point, I was like, I want to do triathlons. So I convinced my parents and dragged them out to the local Kids of Steel triathlons. Mm -hmm. There's one, uh, the K-Town one, and then one in Loyalist, and there's a, a few of them. Mm -hmm. And so I would go out on my like uh, commuter kids bike and I loved it. And I decided that I wanted to train for these. So Ooh. my parents not really knowing what to do with me in those uh, situations, I, I would just ride my bike around the block and then I would drop my bike with my mom on our front porch and then I would run around the block and I would pretend that I would be training for something big. So <laughs> that's kind of where I started out. I kept doing that a little bit and um, eventually I was given the feedback that to be um, a strong triathlete I needed to improve sort of each of my sports and so I needed to build some foundation swimming so I again convinced my parents to sign me up for the local swim club the Kingston Blue Marlins and I started that I believe when I was in grade eight somewhere around there um, and pretty quickly took to the pool and dropped the other two sports. And <laughs> oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I swam all the way through high school and my first three years of um, university. And so I'd say a lot of my sort of foundations in sport come from swimming, um, which is kind of, yeah, kind of neat. Um, I do love to still open water swim when I can these days, but definitely transitioned a little bit later. Um, so through through university, I did a little bit of um, a little like a little bit of triathlons in the summer, kind of on the side. Oh. So I was still riding a little bit and had a bike, um, <laughs> but not super serious. And it wasn't until, yeah, my third year of university when I'd had like a little bit of a, um, a rough year swimming. I was trying to figure out sort of what, what was next. Like uh, I was losing a little bit of the love of competing in the pool. And my neighbor at the time actually convinced me to go out to the Good Friday road race in Hamilton because I was at McMaster at the time. Mm -hmm. And I went out and I remember, I think it was snowing and I was in like mountain bike shoes and I was didn't have shoe covers so I just like put plastic bags around my feet and I did the cat three race and I think I was second or something I was like oh like <laughs> call it the bug Who's that <laughs> yes it was definitely a bit of a hack job um and so that was kind of my first taste into road racing and through the rest of that um that year and the next I dabbled a bit more in mountain biking. I had done a tiny bit of mountain biking in high school and had um, really loved it and um, but hadn't really pursued it any further. So I kind of dabbled in road, mountain, um, definitely caught the cycling bug. Um, and I guess it wasn't until 2013. Um, I believe that's the year that I joined the cyclery. And really? that was, yeah, like so that was- the the well how did you get in ottawa to join <laughs> yeah. the cyclery okay yeah, you got a back funny story about, <laughs> about <Go on>. that <laughs> yeah so i guess um at that so around 20 yeah i guess it would have been 2012 um i 
I convinced um, Lee Hobson, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Lee, um, she raced at the tw uh, 2008 Olympics on the road and she lives in, in Ontario and I convinced her to coach me, first of all. Oh, um, okay. And that was such like an incredible, she's fantastic um, and such just like a strong, calm athlete influence. And for us, I was kind of one of the first people that she'd ever coached. And so we did it very collaboratively. We learned along the way, we would read the same books. And I think that was really important, especially early on in my career. And so I was doing some of the OCAP races and that's actually where I met Carrie Cartnell, who raced on the cyclery with me for many years. Oh. And um, so she was living in Hamilton or in Toronto, Hamilton area and racing for the cyclery. And she was like, oh, and uh, you, you need to talk to Jenny. And so she was the one who put me in touch. Um, and that's kind of how I made the transition to the cycling. So for the first while I was based in Hamilton, um, racing with the cycling. I spent a summer or two living in Ottawa. Oh, okay. Further on. And so, so yeah. So after your first experience, you just continued on dominating on the race courses. Is that kind of what I'm dominating um <laughs> I, I i worked my way up <laughs> upgraded the gear yeah worked worked my way up um kind of through the ranks and the cycler was such an important role in my development and i think that that team has been such like a launching point for so many athletes and for me that was huge and that was the support of jenny Jenny True and Chris Reed and Vince who runs the cyclery yeah. and there was just like a really like committed group of leaders and an incredible group of women on that team we had some really really special years um, many of whom are so still some of my best friends um, so I think for me that was like a really important um, part of of sort of building those early years of my career and continuing to this day. Um, right. Yeah. Wow. I it's it's just amazing how many girls that I've taught chatted mm -hmm. with that have gone through the cyclery because like being in Ottawa, I'd see all of them. You know, like from I don't know the you know from the local races all the way up to you know the women's UCI. Gatineau race and and they're racing in there you're just like oh my gosh wow what amazing you know um not mentors but I just like yeah, yeah mentors and also I think building off of each other and and I think there was a really strong culture in that team of learning from each other and building each mm -hmm. other up and I think that sort of pushes everyone further in their career and development when when everyone's invested in each other's growth. So I think that's um, yeah, definitely the culture played an important role. In building yeah, that. for sure. Cause you know, it's just amazing uh, looking at all, all the ladies just advance over the years and, and see where they're all at now and see where mm -hmm. Jenny is. But so after that, you're on the cyclery now, of course you've gone to the UCI races and you've, had some you know podium fishes but how did you find yourself on the track because there's there's a mixture like half a year on the track and half a year still racing like 
over in Europe or down the States or? Yeah, so um, I raced Canada Games in 2013. And that was, at the time, that was the biggest, one of the biggest races I'd ever done. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of just squeezed in, I was 22. So I was the oldest that you could be. Um, and I ended doing ended up doing pretty well there. I won two gold medals and that um, got my name a little bit sort of into the national team pool. And from there, um, I was invited to attend some track camps in LA. So at the time, the uh, Milton Belladrum wasn't built. It was sort of in the process. And so the national team was based in LA and I was invited down to um, sort of a selection camp. They were trying to build the pool of athletes before Rio. So they invited some road riders. And so I showed up on actually Jenny's old track bike, had really no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> we were thrown onto the track. And I think the only reason why I made it to the next round, because my technical skills were horrendous, the only reason I made it through was on the last day, we, everyone had to race an individual pursuit and I had a time that was fast enough to get me to the next, <laughs> to get me an invite to the next camp. Um, and so that was kind of my intro into the track. And there was sort of a sequence of camps that I was able to sort of learn some of the ropes for team pursuit. and. Um, kind of progress my way on. I was part of the, uh, I don't, it wasn't really called Next Gen at the time, but it was sort of the development um, group, um, which Ariane, for instance, was part of that as well, and Kinley yeah. and some of the people who, um, yeah, have continued on to the elite team. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of, yeah, progressed from there and then was invited to be an alternate for the elite team. And so I attended a number of World Cups without racing. Um, that's kind of a transition okay. where um, you're uh, training with the team and assisting in that process, but um, you're, you're there in case there's an injury or something mm -hmm. happens. Uh, and I can tell you more about that in terms of, I was the alternate for Rio. So uh, that's an, an interesting role <laughs> on the team. Did you get to race? I did not race in Rio. So I, I so you got was, to go there. Yeah, so I was the alternate. So I knew that there was an almost near zero chance that I would be racing mm -hmm. unless something catastrophic happened to the team. And that's something that you don't want for anyone. Right. Um, so that was a really in, like a, a growing experience for me to be um, training for the biggest race um, of, yeah, on in our season, uh, knowing that I wasn't going to race <laughs> in the, the world, race. really. In like, the world, world, yeah. Come on, Annie. <laughs> yeah. So like, but I can't race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, kind of worked my way up. And then post Rio was kind of when I um, transitioned into more of a starting lineup rider from there. Oh, nice. Hmm. So, how are those feelings about sitting? I hate to say it, but sitting on the sidelines, like kind of watching, I mean, yeah, watching your teammates when you're like, so was there five of you on the team or how many of you are on the team? So there were five on the team and I was the sort of the sixth rider. So in oh. Rio, they actually rotated through five riders through the rounds. You're allowed to do that. Okay. Um, so that's why as a sixth rider, there was minimal chance that I would right. be racing. In terms of that experience, um, 
I'd say that I, I feel like I grew a lot as an athlete and a person um, in that role, because I think to be a strong alternate, you have to learn to be selfless and your sort of individual aspirations are secondary to those of the team and to raise yeah. a strong team pursuit. The only way to do that is to ride selflessly and be committed to a team result. And so learning some of those skills and also really understanding that there's so like there's so many people involved in a single performance and as an alternate you you play a piece of the puzzle and it was like shifting shifting that mentality to I'm here to do everything I possibly can so that my teammates can show up on the line on the day in the best place possible. And so that what that means is in training, I did a lot of the lead-in. So something on the track, you bring the tr this team up to speed before flying efforts. Um, right. So I would do that when people were injured or tired, then I would be put in the line and sort of be a little bit of a placeholder. Um, but for me, like I was still newish to Team Brazil. I had a lot to learn. And so mm. sort of shifting that, um, that perspective as like seeing as a, as a learning opportunity and also recognizing the role that you can play off the bike as well, both on and off the bike. Um, so I mean, obviously a really challenging experience, um, even in Rio, like I had to fly back to, uh, I was flying, I was living in the U S at the time I'd fly back to the U S, um, as the team was racing qualifications. So Emily Wood, who's oh. our sports, one of the sports scientists, she actually just taped her phone to her camera because she was doing the um, video recording for the race. And so I was sitting on the bus, like watching my teammates <laughs> race because they could only change, they, they could change the lineup up until the night before racing. So kind of my role okay. was done at that point. Mm. Um, so yeah, it comes with its challenges, but I'd say that it's really an advantage to have gone through an Olympic preparation without the pressure of competing. I think definitely yeah. puts me in a better place this year, um, having gone through that experience. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that would be beneficial now, like knowing mm. what you know, because it's not new, but I would have thought that, that since you were there supporting the team, that did you leave because you had to leave or did you leave? yeah I had to leave there it, it's, okay. it's all tricky I'm like, because why wouldn't you stay to the end no, did no, I send no. you home or what no <laughs> I had to leave it it's tricky with the village of having enough accreditation to be staying in the village so there oh. needed to be some switching okay. of people so yeah no ideal but you know oh. well these things it. that we just don't know I guess as yeah if you're like non-athlete or uh, how it works at the Olympics. Like you said, that there's only so many people can be in the Olympic village then. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, that makes sense. So now moving forward, we've got like four, five years since then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what you've been up to and, and what made you decide to go back to school or were you already kind of, okay. So you were, you did a degree you were working on your degree when you got into cycling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and then, so how does the schooling <laughs> work in there? 
Yeah, so I kind of got into cycling um, near the end of my undergrad, so when I was still right. a master. Um, so my early years in cycling, I was finishing off that. And I was living in Hamilton, and then I've actually, I actually did my, I did a master's of public health as I was racing. So I did it very part time at um, the Dalalana School of Public Health um, at U of T, so in Toronto, um, and that was, yeah, a bit of a tricky balancing act. I um, never actually lived in Toronto. I was able to arrange a lot of my practicums. Um, I did one in California. I did one remotely. I would commute in from Milton to classes in Toronto when I was in training camps. Um, it was a bit of an, a bit of an undertaking, but um, for me, I really like having, having a bit of balance. I, I put balance in, in quotation marks because it may not be a, a balance of sorts. Um, well, yes. So I, I was sort so of doing that. Yeah, sorry, yeah I find that education is important mm -hmm. if you're going to be into sport because your sport at this level isn't always going to be there, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, it's better to be that balanced athlete where you do have something to fall back on or you're trying to juggle the two whether it takes you longer or not but yeah mm -hmm. so you got your master's and then you're like mm, I think I want to go to medical school yeah, so <laughs> my master's, yeah I had kind of been considering medical school and I wasn't sure at the end of my undergrad whether it was what I wanted to do I knew I wanted to um, build some of my work in public health so I started I started with that degree and it was kind of partway through my master's that I was like oh yeah no I do want to go to medical school but the application process is a really burdensome long process mm. and I actually um I actually applied first in 2017 and I was accepted for 2018 and I ended up turning it down because I decided at that point that I wanted to um, compete at the Tokyo games. And so I, I was like, no, I'm going to put that, like put that aside and I'm going to commit fully to these last two years leading into the games, knowing that then I would reapply in 2019 for a 2020 start. So as I was racing, I had to do, go back and do some prerequisite courses. I had to write the MCAT. Um, the application process is long. So right. I did all of that again through 2019. Um, I knew I really wanted to go to UBC and there were some extra requirements I had to do for mm -hmm. that. Um, and so I was trying really hard to have everything in place for um, ending my career in Tokyo on a high note. <laughs> um, last year. <laughs> like, last year and oh. then start medical school in the fall. And so to do that, you have to apply in 2019. I actually, um, was doing all of my interviews um, last March, so March 2020. Um, I actually had to, we were training in New Zealand. I flew to Vancouver for 48 hours to complete my interview in the middle of our world's prep. Because uh, I really, like this was my top choice. I really wanted to make it happen. And my team was so incredible to support me in in making sure that that all happened. My teammates like helped me prepare for um, what's called a multiple mini interview style um, interview. They ran stations for me. They made sure I was dressed in um, business casual clothes. They like got me to the airport. Like it was a team effort to make this happen. 
I guess. Did yeah. you even feel the time change at all? I, you know, I just drank a lot of coffee and somehow made it through and I'm glad <laughs> that they accepted me. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, and then after world championships with COVID, I actually, I flew back from world championships and I had three more interviews in like 10 days following. So I went to Queens, I went to Ottawa, and then I was flying to Calgary to conduct, to have my final interview. And that's when everything shut down. So I landed in Calgary the day before my interview with a, an email saying that things had been canceled because of COVID. So that was kind of the start of everything unraveling. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so in terms of my decision to start school, um, cause that's, yeah, a question that I've gotten a fair amount. Um, cause mm -hmm. I had worked really hard to not have to do both at the same time because I, didn't really want to try to balance medical school and um, and cycling or training for the Olympics. It wasn't really part of my plan. Um, but I as couldn't find anything that was too any two things that were so high on the the, the podium, like the pendulum, right? Like medical school and the Olympics. Like put them all together. A unique challenge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, and for me, yeah, as I said, it wasn't really part of the plan, but as everything this past year, I think mm. pretty much nothing has gone to the plan. <laughs> and um, yeah. And, and I think the fact that I had really worked so hard to get into the school that I wanted to be at, mm -hmm. things were so uncertain in the world. Um, I decided to start school oh, and okay. I started school not knowing if or when I would take a leave of absence actually because I was going to kind of see where things were at mm -hmm. with the games I would keep training and um at first I was thinking of taking leave of absence in January but that ended up being really complicated with the school because then I'd have to take a full year off and anyways I ended up doing the full both terms um and that, yeah, was a, an interesting balancing act. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard um, when I have, I feel like I have aspirations and like commitments to both sides of um, sort of my identity and mm -hmm. what brings me joy. And um, so it was a, definitely a really challenging decision, but I, I don't, I don't regret it. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. So what area of medical, like medicine, did you choose? So I don't actually have to choose yet. Um, everyone oh. goes oh, yeah. through oh. um, pretty general, like the first two years, you're just thrown a huge amount of information about pretty much every aspect of medicine that okay. they possibly can. And then um, gradually by third year, fourth year, that's when I'll be starting to make decisions about specialties. So that being said, you've been through two semesters. Mm -hmm. Do you kind of have an idea? Like, is there kind of like one thing that is uh, like totally intrigued <laughs> you that you want to dive into? Or are you kind of like, mm, not quite sure. I have a couple. Yeah, this is generally everyone's question when you say that oh, medical geez, school. It's not original. Uh, <laughs> oh, <sad>. um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I'm definitely still figuring that out. Um, okay. So 
my background, like through my public health degree and um, my outside interests, is I have a keen interest in harm reduction research and advocacy. Um, okay. So harm reduction um, is sort of building services and an approach to um, managing um, the experiences of people who use um, who use drugs. And so harm reduction okay. services are things like needle and syringe exchange programs, supervised consumption services, um, these type of approaches that are um, life-saving and Mm -hmm. incredibly important, especially right now in the midst of the worst overdose crisis that we've ever experienced. And so most of my work through my master's was actually looking at sort of the policy side um, of that, particularly supervised consumption services. And so coming in, I was like, oh, like maybe there's a like there might be a way that I would integrate that in and sort of bring the public health um, approach to my practice. So looking at things from social determinants of health, sort of a holistic view of um, when you see a patient. So that's something that definitely I would like to integrate in. Um, Right now, I kind of see myself in family medicine, but maybe like working in more of a community health center model. But then I'm also like, maybe emergency medicine is going to really pique my interest as an athlete, like working in high pressure situations. That'll keep you excited, like 20, (laughs) like 12 hours on a shift. (laughs) Yeah. So definitely keeping things open. I feel like this year has been more of like ruling a few things out. Um, But again, like going to medical school in the midst of a pandemic is also something that nobody really planned for. And this year we did have limited opportunities to really be in clinic and working with patients. I got to be in some family practice um, clinics, but things were pretty restricted because we were doing a lot over Zoom. Um, So I feel like there's so much more that I haven't explored yet. So I'm keeping my options open and open to yeah, finding something that surprises me as well. Right. To be determined. I want to get in the hands-on stuff. No. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. And as a first year medical student, like you have pretty minimal skills. I was, I felt very privileged to help out with some of the COVID vaccination clinics. Um, Before I got to Milton, um, I was working a few weeks of sort of eight to 10 hour shifts there. Um, And that was, yeah, really nice to be able to contribute to the efforts and feel like everyone's so excited. It's it's funny because most people are not excited to get needles, but people coming into (laughs) those clinics are like, yes, like this is my time. And like, I get to get this shot. And so it's just like this moment of hope that as a vaccinator was like wonderful to get to share with, I mean, I was right. 70, 75 people a day. So <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, it was pretty special. <laughs> oh my God. That's super awesome. You got your first experience was there. It was like, <laughs> it, and what better bring in all the students come, we need help with our clinics. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's good. So moving on, like, um, have you finished your semester? Because you said you had exams. So now you're out of school, like you're finished school. Or do you, are you, con- <laughs> I guess you're finished school until like the Olympics. So now you got the blinders on. You're back yeah, yes. the, the first time today, you said. Yeah. Your legs are feeling a little like. A little heavy. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, we finished exams. I do have some work that I am doing through the summer. So um, we have some requirements for research. Um, and then I have, yeah, I kind of have two research projects on the go um, that I think will be a nice balance through, um, through, yeah. through the, the next few months. Um, but definitely a relief to be finished with classes and to have survived um, uh, a challenging eight months, I guess. So yeah, definitely feel, feel some relief and I'm really excited to be back with the team. I was training a lot more sort of on my own in Vancouver through the winter mm-hmm. and that had, had its own challenges. I was, I mean, Vancouver's lucky that I could ride outdoors for pretty much the whole winter. Were you at Burnaby? Were you at that track? Yeah, so I was training a little bit in Burnaby in the fall. And then um, through the winter, I did most of my training on the road and in the gym. Um, Just the nature of I was trying to build, um, yeah, build my like strength endurance and and endurance. And so building those energy systems I could do off the track and balancing it with school sort of made a little bit more sense. Um, So definitely excited to be back on the track today with the team. uh, I was a little bit nervous, but once we were riding in the line, I was like, okay, no, this, this is going to be okay. (laughs) All good now. Let's just keep it going forward. Oh, that's so awesome. And yeah, you're right. It's good to have something to keep your mind on something else other than like, you know, mm-hmm. everything else moving forward. Well, I work, I mean, like, I'm sure you must be excited that they're not canceling the Olympics because that was the other, that was the only option. I think they, they could, they couldn't postpone it again. So mm-hmm. your feelings are excitement. Sorry. I've got all these mosquitoes in my house. Oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm just like trying to avoid getting, <laughs> but, um, all right. So can, Now, I know you're finished school, but I'd love to know how you kind of balanced, like how many hours a week did you have school and how many hours did you have to train? And so how did you make that (laughs) mesh together? (laughs) Good question. It it really (laughs) depended on the week. And I was definitely um, training a fewer hours, but really sort of focused hours. And sort of, for instance, through exams would be a little bit less in particularly busy weeks at school. I did a lot of sort of periodizing the two of them together and trying Mm -hmm. to like shift that balance back and forth based on what was going on. Um, And just tried to take advantage of the times that I did have a little bit of extra hours so over Christmas for instance I tried to do a big block because I didn't travel anywhere I stayed in Vancouver um so yeah really like piecing things together uh in terms of training I took a little bit of a different approach um this past year um after everything shut down in March uh, I kind of talked with uh, my coach Matt and I sort of took the reins and was training myself most of the time. Um, Just because I I needed to do something different to make it Mm -hmm. through all of the uncertainty and and really sort of tap into what gets me excited to be on the bike. And I think that a lot of this year was in some ways like not that I'd fallen out of love with, with cycling, but it's different when you're like, 
so blinders on like Olympics and then all of a sudden like that shifts and for me there was also uncertainty about whether a games could happen next year and there's just like it's this like roller coaster of emotions so for me I was like in I need to enjoy this process whatever the outcome is going to be um and so for me that meant planning adventure rides I did some big gravel rides um my teammate Kinley and I um rode from um from Jasper to Banff through the Mm -hmm. summer when I was driving across the country um I did a bike packing trip um across from uh across BC from Fernie to Hope with uh three of my friends so things like this that like get me out on my bike but in a way that's like a little bit less structured I was doing I was doing some trail running I cross-country skied through the winter these type of things um for me really like grounded grounded me and I think in some ways like made it so that I was both building a strong base but also keeping myself mentally fresh and excited um which I think is obviously a little bit of a risk, but when I started to, I don't know, I was able to um, build some really important pieces and hit power values that I'd never hit in my life. And so um, Matt was really trusting of me, Matt, my coach um, was really trusting of me through this process and gave me a lot of freedom to, Mm -hmm. to guide that process. And I think that was really important to get myself to where I am right now and obviously yeah now being back in the in the program things are a bit more structured but it's like I I feel ready for that in a way that probably I don't know five months ago I wasn't ready to be in that environment again um so I can see that I can see that I mean it's not like you're just starting I mean you've gone through uh, Olympic prep you've had four years in between you're kind of like Um, and I, and I like the fact that you were honest enough with yourself to say, you know, I know what I kind of need to do, um, Mm -hmm. from a training standpoint, I guess, switch it up, but I'm also going to not going to slack off. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. make it all work. And, um, yeah, that's pretty powerful. And like you said, now you're ready to, you know, school is done you're back in Milton and all, and you have like, what is it? Two months now? I think it was to... 77 days or that, Yeah, I was trying to think. I know something. last time I saw it was like a hundred days. So I was like, uh, yeah, that's until be... the end of our race. Racing. Yeah. So 75 days, let's say that Yeah, race day. So it's like mm-hmm. a little over, you know, two months and, um, and you're ready to, to put, do you see that? I do see the mosquito there. (laughs) I was like, "Mm." Um, so you're, you're just ready to put in all that work and extra. Yeah. Mm. I'm so, well, I'm, I'm proud of people who, you know, who are, uh, and I'm glad your coach was like, okay with it. Cause sometimes it'd be like, yeah, no, I don't know. (laughs) No. And I think I'm, I'm really grateful for the trust that my coach, as well Mm. as my teammates as well, because Um, in particular, three of my teammates were training together a lot through this past year, and I wasn't there to, mm-hmm. to, to share in that process. And that's a lot of trust to ask your teammates to be like, okay, I'm like, I'm in school, I'm like 
training late at night, like with a headlamp or oh, wow. um, squeezing in rides and my lunch breaks between classes. And so that's also a lot, asking a lot of my teammates to trust that I'm going to show up strong mm -hmm. and ready to contribute. And for that, I'm like particularly grateful. And I think that also gives like extra weight when, I don't know, on the hard days, it would be like, okay, like I have a responsibility to these girls who are like training their butts off every single day to show up in the best possible way physically and mentally. And so that got me through a lot of the, the rainy winter rides in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. That and oh my, uh, so did you <laughs> ever, so, Annie, did you ever feel inside like kind of like that gut tightening feeling that you know because you were by yourself in Vancouver and not with the three girls because I know I would kind of feel mm, just a little bit out you know out of it not out of it but like not in the group even though that's not a feeling that you really need to adopt you know what I mean it's it's a change up of a mindset like like you said, like understanding and trusting and everything, but did you ever feel that like feeling? Yeah, definitely. And, and definitely feeling quite far away and a little bit yeah. out of the loop and, and yeah. a little bit like you're falling behind. Mm -hmm. um, and so I tried to like, I, I kept in touch with all of my teammates. We, I, I got some wonderful like messages of support to getting me Aww. through as well. Um, and what I, I was also pretty intentional, especially through the winter, I kind of got through the fall and I did a fair amount of training on my own. And I realized, oh, like I need to build kind of a, a crew of people who are almost like honorary teammates to get like, to make sure that I'm getting myself prepared. Because I think you take it for granted having teammates around you all the time who are pushing mm -hmm. you in training sessions. And we in the past, we've spent so much time on the road together that I think, yeah, I think it's easy to take that for granted. And it's not until I got a couple months in of like, oh, I'm training by myself. I haven't actually had someone really push me. Mm -hmm. um, so I was pretty lucky through the winter. I um, ended up connecting with a few people in particular who were just like, ended up being such committed training partners through the winter they would um my friend nick um who's a former cross-country ski racer he literally came out and did almost every track specific interval session with me um squeezing it into lunch breaks sometimes we would like I, i'd be like okay i have like an hour and a half so i'm gonna put my helmet on like while i'm finishing my class Get outside and we'd be like okay we're not gonna make it in time so we just like have to sprint home um <laughs> but having like someone like that who is stronger than me and so we yeah would push me especially like on the fifth rep when I'm dying um so so I feel so grateful for people like that um who were some stand-in training partners um that made sure that I was still getting that like motivation and mm -hmm. excitement that comes from going out and suffering it as a collective as opposed yeah. to individually <laughs> yeah I can I can see how that would be more motivating for sure because there are probably times you're like oh I could 
like but you have yeah. a I know you have a strong reason why obviously it's not like me going out I'm like oh well I'll do three instead of five but yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know be like no 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 that adds up when you stop at that and uh, you know reduce your training but so awesome all right so now you're in Milton you're like gearing up um all right so we've gone through the daily routine now now I know we're going towards uh Olympics now let's just think about after Olympics I know that's in August I'm sure you're ready to start school in September um but just you want to talk a little bit about like you said that you're retiring so you know that mm -hmm. so you have this big um, end goal and then how are you going to transition yourself mm -hmm. out I mean I'm sure like okay I'm just gonna stop racing okay I'm done and now I'm gonna focus 100% on school and get that done but I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of a, mm, I need to change over, you know, like you can't just totally. drop all that cycling yeah. and move into like, do you have kind of a plan? Yeah. So it's a really good question. And I think that it's something that everyone needs to be thinking about and something that has definitely been on my mind. And I think this past year has been interesting because there have been times when it was like, it, it seemed like the games might be canceled again. And I would have to like work through in my head, like, okay, if my retirement was tomorrow, what does that mean or look like? And how do I like get my head around that process? Um, and so I feel like I've mentally gone through that process so many times over the past year. <laughs> so if, <laughs> if the games would have been canceled, would have that, that would have been it. Like, you're like, I'm not going to go through another round again. Like that's it. Yeah. 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 And I felt pretty, pretty confident, um, about that and, and at peace with that. Yeah. Obviously I think it's going to be really, it's one thing to work through it in your head and another to actually live it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it will definitely be a tough transition in its own way. Um, I wonder if having this, this year where it was like sort of this weird middle ground where I got started with school. So mm -hmm. going back to classes is not going to be such a shock. Like it was a bit of a shock to the system yeah. when I started this past year. So there's a little bit of familiarity there. There's, and it's so busy once you're in classes that that I think will take over in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think also mentally sort of having to go through the uncertainty of this year um in some ways pre has prepared <laughs> prepared me to to look at this experience like these past these next 75 days or so um with an extra sort of gratitude for even having the opportunity to go through these 75 days yeah and so it's a little bit of this like last dance and really diving into that and approaching it from that like this is a bonus in some ways um so for that I I think mentally I'm in a good place for that I think the routine and like all I think having this this goal that you're working towards is something that I may have to find in other aspects of my life I'll definitely be 
very active. I'm, I'm realizing how much I need physical activity and adventure to mm-hmm. keep my sanity and keep me balanced. But it may be a little bit less on bikes. It might be more more backpacking trips, maybe some trail running. That's cool. Um, Backpacking is awesome, especially if you're going back to Vancouver. Totally. Exactly. (laughs) And so getting off the grid. um, So I think there's going to be no shortage of adventures coming up, but definitely will be a bit of a, a shift in terms of having yeah, having that drive and this like clear goal that you're working towards Mm -hmm. and also having a whole team around you who's supporting you in making those steps towards the goals. Um, So I'm I'm interested in how that's going to be. And I I anticipate that it will be challenging in its own way, but I'm also excited for what comes next. Oh my gosh. I'm super excited for you because I love that. It's funny because sometimes I find a lot of people just have so much focus on the task at hand that they don't have anything else outside of that. And um, I love that, you know, backcountry and camping, like, oh my gosh, there's so many adventurers out there. And like, mm-hmm. you know, you got the West Coast Trail, you've got, you know, you got Banff and you've I've got I mean, a running list already. Oh yeah. Like ago. seriously, <laughs> go up to like uh, Squamish and down a camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but here I have a question. I actually, I've never asked anybody this. Do you do any meditation or journaling like in the mornings? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So I've gone through phases of Mm -hmm. meditation. So in the past I've used headspace, um, yeah. And I really like, um, I really like that app and the way that they approach it. Um, I was using a lot of them for sleep. They have a whole sleep um, um, sort of, yeah, all of these different meditations. So I was using that as sort of wind downs before before sleep. Um, But journaling is actually something that in the past year and a half, I've been practicing a lot more. Um, (laughs) So actually back at the start of February, um, I, I, reinstated um my gratitude journaling which I know sounds a little like uh like 40 no, because I do research it. backing it yes, there the is. impact uh-huh. on mental health and yes so I committed um February 1st and I was like I'm gonna be writing at least three things that I was I'm particularly like grateful for mm-hmm. um each day and I actually um, coordinated with a friend of mine, um, Elise, oh. who's living in Victoria. Um, she's a mountain biker and a good friend of mine. And we actually shared that entire month. We would text each other oh, at awesome. the end of our day um, mm-hmm. with the gratitude. And that was just, I, I think it takes about a month to really like ingrain those yeah. habits in you. Um, and it's also really nice to like have the accountability of a friend and get to share in each other's successes and challenges. Um, and so that I think was particularly important getting through, like getting through, I feel like February is like sometimes a little bit of a dark month. It's just like <laughs> a little bit of a yeah. low point. Not so sure that what was, you're going to get outside. You're like, yeah. Well, at least in Canada, Dory, at least down here, we know it's going to be cold and there's going to yeah. be snow. And that's it. You don't have to wonder, is it goes like Vancouver? I don't know if I could live in Vancouver. I mean, February, it rains most days. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. I think I'd be like, no, I was going to cry again, but I'm glad I'm excited that you, I'm glad I, I have a gratitude journal and sometimes I write gratitude. Sometimes I write goals. Sometimes I just write. And, um, and like you said, it takes a while to get used to. I get up at like five in the morning and I sit and I do a little bit of reading and then I do some journaling. And um, I find that that not only is it quiet time, um, but it's time to kind of reflect. Mm -hmm. And I, I enjoyed making like making that a routine um, yeah. during the week. Yeah. On the weekends, I, I catch up on my sleep. <laughs> Yeah. So for me, I do it right before bed, actually. So it's uh, part of my like book ending the day. And I think for mm -hmm. me, I've, I've struggled with sleep in the past. And so sort of it gets you in like a good headspace as well yes. um, before trying to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the biggest thing as well is um, going through that um, sort of the repetition of going through that process. I think for me also make it, it has helped me make note of some of those moments as the day progresses so even if I'm not right. writing it down at that time I'm like oh like yes like I'm, I'm pin, putting a pin in like this moment of the day mm -hmm. um which I think has really helped me maintain my <laughs> mental health and sanity through the winter this year <laughs> I think so and also like moving forward like sure. as those thoughts start getting crazy mm -hmm. leading up to and you know sure. just the I don't know I'm sure a lot of things are running through your head <laughs> and maybe oh. it's, just, uh, it's good to put it on paper and and get it out right definitely oh uh, that's cool I should have I'm gonna have to ask that to more more of my yeah. uh, interviews yeah <laughs> because I also think that it's like if you're meditating or visualization, like I'm sure you probably getting into that as well, like mm -hmm. visualizing your race, visualizing mm -hmm. the event, mm -hmm. how it's going to play out and, and all that, um, you know, based on, you know, previous experience or mm -hmm. um, new techniques and, and how you girls are moving forward. That's probably, I imagine a big part mm -hmm. of a daily, daily routine, like that bike ride to the velodrome. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> or, or back going back oh my god <laughs> yeah that last interval <laughs> yeah well we're lucky at the track yeah. we get a lot of feedback um we get video to watch the mm -hmm. efforts we get um we, we get graphs that show you your pace like every quarter lap like we get a lot of data and are able to evaluate that way so we try to really nitpick at the track and then when we leave the track we wipe our hands of it and like try to oh. create some boundaries between it in some ways um so we try to hash everything out at the track and then be able to leave and think about other things as well <laughs> yeah so let me have a uh, let me ask you a question do you find with all that data that it kind of gets overwhelming when you're just trying to perform like you know it's just like well right here your effort wasn't hard enough and you need to pick it up there not not that it's not good feedback mm -hmm. that you need to know that you know maybe on the second lap you need like you dropped a little bit so you need to sustain but do you find that sometimes it just gets too much 
Definitely. Yeah. And there, there, there definitely can be information <laughs> overload. And I, yes. think, I think being able to navigate and sort of pick out what is most important um, comes with experience and comes mm-hmm. with maturity um, <laughs> in, some, in some ways. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely. And I think there's also a time and place to really dive into all of the nitty gritty and, and sometimes like leading into races, you want to not focus as much on it because you can overthink everything. And so you want to be able to feel it more. And so like deep in a training block, yes. Like do all the nitpicking, assess all the data. But then when you come to race day at the end of the day, like you need to just ride your bike. And so use it as a tool, but it doesn't need to drive every decision. Oh, geez. Thanks <laughs> for saying that. Cause I'm just like, well, I know when, when you're at your level, you've got to expect a certain amount of that and be able to, like you said, navigate it with maturity because you can't be like, Oh my God, you're looking at, you know, like feeling like those eyeballs on you all the time. Yeah. Um, when you just have basically doing your job, mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Annie, do you have anything that you would love to share with all those little girls who would aspire to be you and make it to the Olympics on the track or even on the road? Mm -hmm. What would you tell them? Hmm, That's a really, that's a hard question. (laughs) Oh, come on. Think about the little girls that look up to you. And and they're going to be watching you. Yeah, I think not being afraid to really own your journey. Um, as I talked about earlier, like taking taking a bit of control over, over my training plan and being an active participant in like creating that path. Um, there's a quote that I really like that, I can't remember who said it, but it's, um, there is no path, you make the path by walking. And- oh. And I think that's really important, especially for young athletes to, to not, to, to think about what you're doing, to not be afraid of forging your own way through sport. Not everyone's journey is going to look the same. Mine certainly doesn't look the same as some of my teammates and you have to figure out what works for you, what motivates you. Um, so I'd say that take ownership of your process and your journey. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, this has been great. I feel so blessed that I've been able to chat with you and get to know you better. Um, you know, just being a racer myself way back in the day. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, if I hadn't had kids, what would have happened? <laughs> but don't worry. You got lots of time to think about that. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, I know that everybody here is going to be cheering for you guys, you, you ladies, when you, um, in August, when you, every, like, you know, everybody starts heading to Tokyo and, mm-hmm. and just, uh, wishing you guys luck. And so everybody, thank you to our listeners. And we just want to make sure that all of you put your notifications on so that you make sure you don't miss another episode from the secrets from the saddle all things cycling podcast and annie and i have a special request and we always request if you have a a takeaway we'd love to hear it Mm -hmm. and 
we love five stars and a review, wouldn't we? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Annie. It's been a pleasure. We wish you luck in Tokyo and um, maybe we can have you back afterwards. Like Amazing. when you cleared the head, you're like, <laughs> yes, okay, yes. now I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a month or two to reset. We'll get you right in the mid when you get back and just like, okay, this is what what do you think? I don't know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat. That was great. Oh, thank you so much. And um, you've been excellent. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.